Let's do that hockey. Welcome to Diver Prospects Report. This is report number 36. I'm Victor Nuno, one of the co-hosts here. And with me is Peter Harling. How are you doing, Pete? Hey, Victor. I'm good as always. Getting a little excited for the World Juniors. A little excited for the draft announcement. Going to be in Vegas at the Sphere. Can't wait to go to that. That's a bit bittersweet, though. Could be the last one, you know? Yeah, sounds like it will be. But maybe it'll be so epic and amazing that the NHL will finally come to their senses. That's that's my secret hope but even if it's not we'll have a we'll have a grand last time eh oh indeed oh indeed yeah i'm looking forward to that too and looking forward to world juniors because it's kind of the best time of the year to see all the best prospects on the center stage eh? yeah we should probably do a show or two about world juniors huh we should look into that but not today today we're going to talk about the draft that's right we're going to talk about some 2024 draft eligibles and no better person to do that with than will scouching Will Scouch of Scouching, I should say. And he recently, if you hadn't heard, came came out of, you know, a little hiatus that he had. And it's back and full of full force. So I'll let him tell you a little bit more about that. But he's definitely a great resource. Before we get started, I want to remind you that Dower Prospects Report is a member of the Hockey Podcast Network. We're very excited to be part of the Army of Fantastic Hockey Podcasts. Please check out at HockeyPodNet for all the shows like this one, talking hockey from fantasy to team coverage to you name it. You can also use the DraftKings promo code THPN for listening to the show. More on that in a bit. And the DPR show is proudly sponsored by Fantrax. Fantrax is the ultimate league manager for any dynasty sport you play. It's completely customizable for however you want to set up your league from scoring categories, an amazing draft room to host the draft, draft pick trading, and a treasury option, and so on. Use the promo code to sign up for a free league using the link Fantrax.com forward slash DPR show. Welcoming back to the show, one of our favorite draft analysts, Will Scouch. You have been on the show before, but not since I've been on, I don't think, and not in this iteration, but we're super happy to have you back. How are you doing, Will? I'm doing okay. Yeah, fighting off a little illness, but I'll survive. Nothing too bad, but feeling good. It's good to be back and to be on the show. You're a gamer. You're not going to, you're not going to miss. <laughs> Do what I can. I try. I, I try to rally when I can. And you've recently come out of your hiatus, right? So it's been, it's been awesome to have you back. And you've been doing yeah. some live shows, right? I have, yeah. So we moved up to twice a week. We've got a lot more stuff on the channel. I've got a producer working with me. It's been a lot of fun. Just took some time, started a business on my own, decided to bring this back. You know, the uh, it's been a nice little sabbatical is what I've been telling people. It's taken a little bit of a research getaway. <laughs> Having a producer makes all the difference. I don't know if oh, you've dude. had one before, but uh, the, the show's got one since uh, we rebranded it. Evan has been just super amazing. And it, yeah, it's, it's super really, healthy. yeah, it's really improved the quality of the show more than I care to admit. For sure. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. Yeah, a little bit more technology intensive, but that's okay. You know, it's a good learning experience and it's been a lot of fun. Well, I'm sure the thing that hasn't changed is your keen eye for what these prospects are doing. And that's what we want to dig into. And so we're going to start. Pete and I are going to go back and forth with some names. We actually got these names from our Discord and some people who we just asked. We got Will coming on. What do you want to hear? Who do you want to hear about? And these are the names they came up with. So we're going to go through them. The first guy is Michael Haig. He is EP consolidated rank number 32, kind of in that 25 to 36 range. Oh, and I forgot to, if I forgot to say this, these are all 2024 eligible guys. So they're all, they're all coming up in this draft. He's not in the elite prospects, actual top 32. And I don't think Dauber rated him either, but he's a six foot, 190 pound center playing for the Chicago Steel in the USHL. So far this season, he has 21 points in 22 games. Eight of those are goals. He's committed to Michigan for next season, so that'll be a nice developmental jump for him next year. Right now, he's coming in on hockey prospecting about a 20% chance of being a star, and his PNHLE is looking something in the 58 to 60 point range. So, But we, we got to get a little bit more detail on him. So we'll, what can you tell us about Michael Haig? Yeah, he's an interesting player because I feel, well, I don't feel, he has been injured quite a bit over the last little while, the last few seasons, actually. And he's missed a lot of playing time. And the first game I watched him this year, I didn't think too much of him. But then after watching a little bit more and watching some highlights here and there, and then watching the second full game of him that I did a couple of weeks ago, uh, and a third one actually this past week after we were going to mention talking about him this week, I, I, I've really grown to like him a lot. I think 
the consolidated rank of a late first round pick. I mean, I've got him a little higher than that. This is a guy who, to me, carries a lot of skill in his game. There's not many toys for him to play with on his team. The Chicago Steel are uncharacteristically not great this year. And he's driving a lot of that offense and doing whatever he can. He's trying to make plays in the offensive zone. There are some weaknesses in this game. It's nothing too, you know, troubling. I think he needs to get a little bit more comfortable on his feet with regards to making plays in traffic and just evading pressure with speed. And, you know, he can kind of skate himself into trouble and, and, you know, try to bite off more than he can chew, relying a lot on his hands to try to get through pressure. But at the end of the day, I think he's a really, really efficient player, really sees the ice, I think, really well. And a guy who, you know, I think, I think, Hopefully over the back half of the season, we'll just get better because he did have a bit of a slow injury riddled career to this point in the USHL. So I'm hopeful. I think he's a pretty darn good player. I feel like he'd be producing a significant amount more if he were on a team that wasn't near or in dead last, but I've, I've liked him a lot, really skill first, really sort of smart puck moving guy just needs to work on his speed the quickness, you know, those, those things that I think will separate a player like that from, from the pack, I think a little bit. So, you know, in this year's draft, a late first round pick for him, I think seems reasonable. If he's a guy that falls to the second round, I I think he's a perfectly reasonable, you know, shot to take to play up the middle of any team. All right. Next player up we want to talk about is a guy who's, I think, wasn't really that high on, on my awareness for radar list, but he's really launched into the the upper stratosphere is Caden Lindstrom. He's a he's a beast of a player. His consolidated ranking is around 16 and depending on who you look at, he's in the top 5 or or at the bottom of the first round. So I wonder if that is people who are a little late to the party on this guy. He is riding a heater right now. He's in the middle of a 9-game point streak in which he has 15 points. He's on pace for a 94-point season with 150 penalty minutes. Um, last time I checked, those are both very impressive stats uh, for people in banger leagues that are multi-cat. There's, there's a lot to like there. Uh, so I'm seeing a player who's, who's definitely on the rise. He's, he's trending towards uh, a consolidated top five ranking, in my opinion, and, it, and definitely so in multi-cat dynasty league. In, in your opinion here, Will, so far, how, how high is the ceiling with this player? I mean... Lindstrom is a fascinating one. I I think he's got a ton of potential in his game. It's going to be very pivotal for me how he sort of evolves from here. That's going to be a major sort of, you know, dividing point between, I think, if he's going to be a good, you know, like a good NHL player who can produce and a great, you know, power skill NHL forward. Really, 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 really skilled, really tall plays pretty heavy. He can shoot. He can make a play pretty much all the data I have on him. He's just extremely, you know, positive. I would say he's a guy that didn't play a ton at the Holinka tournament this year, but I really liked him from the limited time he did show. I think he's a player where if you, you know, take off the, the goggles of, wow, look at all the points he's scoring. Look at all the, look at the size and look at the skill level and you sort of take a closer look at him, I think there are, you notice a few vision and, and sort of line of thinking based issues where he'll, again, similar to Haig, find himself sort of overhandling things, trying to do too much, you know, sticking around the perimeter. And you just kind of want him to make a play sometimes. And, and right now he has the skill and the talent and the, and the physical frame to basically get away with a lot at the WHL level. And he's on a really good team too, which really helps because he can play off other guys and other guys can play off of him. But he's really high on my board, really, really high, really, really skilled. Obviously, just basically the complete package. And it's just, I think, going to be a matter of the right development staff and coaching staff sort of believing in him the right way and, and letting him go out there, make some mistakes, you know, learn to play a little bit more selflessly, I guess would be the word I would use. Or a little, yeah, a little more selflessly and sort of, you know, making plays when they're there rather than trying too much to find secondary and tertiary options that just are not likely to happen and handling himself into a corner is a, is a thing I've seen with him a few times, but the, the potential is huge with him. Just, just every shift he's on the ice, there's something going on and there aren't that many players like that this year. And so 
you know, with everything he's got, I wouldn't be surprised if he went really, really high in this year's draft. I think there's no, I don't, I don't know about no doubt, but there is very little doubt that I think at the NHL level, he'll be a guy who can, who can put, put points on the board and has the potential, I think, to be, to be really, really impressive. So what, one observation I've had over the years, I'm really, I have a hard time sorting out is you have players like this who are physically dominant at junior, right? And they use that to their full advantage and credit to them. Why wouldn't you? But that advantage is really mitigated once they move to the pro level, like the American Hockey League for starters, and then the NHL, like everyone there is can handle that size for the most part. So generally in those cases, I, I, I see concerns if the player sort of is more of a, you know, off puck physical player. So they kind of, you know, if it's, if it's that when they're playing with the puck, they're a big chip and chase guy, keeping it simple you know, using their frame to protect the, protect the puck. Okay. But a big part of their game is just, you know, for checking hard, you know, causing turnovers and everything, but not super reliable when they're carrying pucks or moving pucks themselves. And I don't really see that with Lindstrom. I think that's what sort of sets him apart is that he has sort of a lot of pace in his game and he can make plays, you know, with a lot of speed up the ice. He's a guy who can shoot, whether he's sort of standing still in full flight, like he's a guy who's not slow. I know you mentioned that he has a lot of penalty minutes. I, I mean, I'm surprised at that, honestly, because I don't really see him as a guy who's out there trying to trying to take penalties in every single game. And, and a guy who really is likely to be that, I don't know what an example would be in the NHL, but you know, just a, just a high penalty minute, high point producer, you know, but I think he's just a, I see a lot more of a finesse player there. And I think the size is just a matter for him of learning how to use that size effectively when he, when he gets a little older, you know, that, and I think that's part of the learning curve for him. I'm not super concerned because at the end of the day, there's still a ton of, a ton of talent there. And, and in terms of the sort of things that concern me about sort of these bigger, more physical first players at the junior level, you, you can kind of see a little bit of a different of a difference with him in terms of, how he moves around the ice, the skill level he has, the the quickness that he's got for such a big guy, and how he can sort of jump into offenses both with and without the puck. And I think that kind of sets him apart a little bit from that class of, of player you're kind of talking about. All right, let's move on to my next guy. And this is Zeev Buyam. He has a brother, Shai Buyam, who I believe is a Red Wings prospect. And Zeev is EP's consolidated 18. He's kind of in that 18 to 22 range. They actually have him right at at 18. But he was a December 7th birth date, so a bit on the older side. He's a bit undersized at 5'11", 165 pounds. He's playing at the University of Denver. You may have heard a little bit about him because he's got 25 points in 18 games playing for the Pioneers there. He's currently, as we're recording this, tied with Macklin Celebrini for total points in terms of draft eligible in the NCAA. And of course, Macklin projected over first overall, and he's a forward, in case you forgot that. So Celebrini has played three fewer games, but that's still impressive for William. Looks like he will be on the U.S.'s World Junior team unless they cut him for some strange reason. And looking at his hockey prospecting, it's ridiculous, 73% chance of being a star. And if you look at Mason Black's PNHLE ranking app, it looks like his star potential or his, his PNHLE equivalency is trying to escape the page. I think it currently reads <laughs> 130. It's insane. It's insane. So, Will, bring us back down to earth. Tell us what you can about Zeev Booyam and, and what kind of what, what he's like as a player. I mean, it's tough for me to bring it back down to the planet because I'm a really, really big believer in him. I, I've seen... I've been watching him since last year. I, I thought he was a good defenseman. I wasn't a hundred percent sure he was as good as he has been this year, but he's been spectacular. Like the first game I watched him this year, early in his, in his time with Denver, he was kind of feeling it out still, obviously, as you would expect an NCAA player, he was, you know, making mistakes here and there and not really monitoring gaps defensively super well. It was just a higher level of play, more physical, everything. And he just kind of struggled a little bit, but still did okay. And the flip side was I watched him again the last couple of weeks, a couple of times, and he has been, in my opinion, I think he's the best defenseman in the, in the draft this year. Like just his ability to, he's that modern archetype of defenseman where 
you know, you're not going to, you're not really going to get that insane level of physical play. You're not going to get that Caden Gooley style guy here. That's sort of more of a throwback, but you are getting a highly, highly mobile, talented stick checker who I think reads the ice off the puck really, really well. Like when opponents are trying to chip pucks past him or, or dump pucks past uh, his teammates into the neutral zone. His, he just takes a couple of strides. He knows where the puck is going if, from my experience and just kind of cuts it off, resets things. And immediately you get the puck back in the offensive end. His, ta- his team is pretty good, but I think he's, and, and he's not really this sort of like Denton Matejchuk style, high producing defenseman where he's stepping up and, and, and playing below the goal line and all that stuff. But it's more just that he uses sort of skill and footwork and, a pretty good shot, but not really something that where he's going to light the lamp a million times all in conjunction to just move pucks really effectively. He's rarely, I think nowadays, rarely ex- executing on sort of poor ideas. There's just so many things about him where, again, it's, it's pretty rare in the draft ever, but it's very rare this year, in my opinion, to see a guy where he goes on the ice and especially, and almost every single time he steps on the ice, you're going, that's the, that's probably a good move. That's probably a good play. That's probably a good play too. This one didn't go the way you wanted to, but probably the right idea. Right. And, and that's not super common. And I just keep, you know, it's kind of like, I'm trying to think of an example from previous years where it's not so much that I think he's, you know, one of the best players in the draft, but it's that I put him side by side against all the other guys at the top and I'm going, well, who would I rather have? And it's always really been Zeev Booyam, like just, moving up steadily for me like i i don't know if he'll be a sort of consensus mid ramp mid first round pick by the end of the year just because when i watch him against the other defensemen in this draft i i i can't help but especially because he's playing in the ncaa and doing so well it's really hard to sort of devalue that you know is he is he a kale mccarr no he's not that right like he's not scoring so many points and and he's not going to be that but, you know, I think there's a really talented offensive defenseman here who can hold his own defensively. He's not, you know, he's going to have some gaps in the NHL probably with regards to, you know, when the puck is hemmed in his own end and defending and everything in that situation might be a bit of a weak spot for him. But, I mean, he's going to be a guy where it's like keep away, right? He, you, you, you can't score on him if you never have the puck. And, and he's one of those guys, you know, I love defensemen who know when to take risks and when they don't take risks, they make the right plays and, and do the right things. And he does that a lot. So I've been a big fan of Booyam for a couple of years and he's been better than I expected him this year, but I've been, I've really, really enjoyed watching him play. And, and he's almost certainly going to be a really, really, really high number on my list at the end of the year. Yeah. He's, he's really exciting and I don't want to detract anything too. Cause I've been really excited about him too. The, the being slightly undersized might be, you know, a bit of an issue. And maybe some of his points are slightly inflated. I was just looking and he has 22 shots total on the season in 18 games and five goals. So probably right. a few more goals. And he also has double the number of secondary assists as he does primary assists, which is sometimes a bit of a red you know, flag. I know that Denver's a pretty good team too. So maybe some of the scoring is a little inflated, but that doesn't change all the things that you just said about how he generates it and how, you know, competent he is, you know, in, in both ways. I just think that maybe some of that, like, especially that PNH Lee of 130 is, Oh yeah. That's, I mean, I know Mason would say the same thing, like that's small sample size. It's going to even out, but you know, it's, it's still impressive, but maybe we should cool a little bit on expecting him to be, like you said, the next Kale McCarr. Yeah, I think I think that you're more likely to be in sort of the Noah Hannafin range of type of player or Zach Wierenski, you know, like those types of former college players. You know, again, like I said, he's not a guy I would say is known for his shot, you know, but but he's a guy that I think in terms of what you want out of a defenseman, right? Like points are one thing, but with defensemen, you can very easily sort of set them aside and go, okay, yeah, but like, what are they doing when they don't have the puck or when they're not in the offensive zone? And with Booyam, it's, it's hard to ignore. He's a guy who I think brings a lot to the table and, and certainly will be a, a pretty desirable player for whoever's drafting them at the end of the year. Quick, quick follow-up on, on Booyam. Is this a player you think has higher NHL value or higher fantasy value? Well, it depends. I mean, if you're going to throw him out there on the power play, I think that gives him a lot more value. But I don't know, like, again, like, looking at his 
production metrics or whatever, you might expect him to be a super high producing defenseman, but you know, I don't see him generating a lot of hits. If he's on a crap team, maybe he'll block a lot of shots, but I don't see him being that type of guy. So I don't know how valuable he'll be as a, as a fantasy player, but in terms of just playing actual hockey, I think there's a lot there. I don't think he's going to be a bad, a bad hockey player on for a fantasy league, but I think he will, you know, and I, I think there are situations where you could put him on the power play, but yeah, he wouldn't probably be my first choice, especially if you have like a bunch of different categories that you're, that you're taking a look at. Right. And the team that drafts him might have some, some sway in, in that as well. Right. 100%. If they've, if they've loaded with soup, like if Colorado drops him, then yeah, that's not better NHL happen. than better NHL yes. than fantasy. Yes. All right. Next guy up is another D Zane Pareka. He is consolidated ranked 10 and he's projected anywhere between 10 and 20 ish. So another defenseman, this, the 24 draft is, is top heavy with D, right? Like yep. there are some really good D in this draft. He's got 40 points through 27 games this season playing yep. in the OHL. And he leads the draft, this draft class D in scoring. He's not the highest ranked D at this time. Pretty much. I think some other people are interchangeable in between him and, and whoever's first, but I mean, he's, he's in, he's in the higher end, but mm-hmm. is this a player who could be the highest ranked fantasy defenseman in the draft by the time the season ends. It's possible, but I I'll be very interested to see what happens with him in the draft and in the future. Cause like in the years of doing this, I've kind of, you, you sort of start to see the after effects of certain types of players being selected in the draft and how they sort of turn out, you know, like when I look at him, it's it's so interesting to think about again we were just talking about Zeev Booyam and how how he's a good possession defender moves around really well he's really mobile um and his his defensive game is a little bit more calculated rather than physical with Zane Parekh there's no defensive game like there just isn't one I, the la- I did a game of him the other day and he was mystified like he came away i think with a goal and an assist in that game and you know, look, I'll give him credit. Like in the offensive zone, he is more than willing to take shots. He's more than willing to swing a little wide, open up the defense and throw pucks in front of the net. Like I can see where his production comes from. It's hard to deny, but man, I, th- this, this is a guy who is not, I don't think the best puck mover up the ice. I think he's a guy who defensively really sort of sits back. He's a guy who I think plays like he leans offensive. You know, I saw something out there today about him sort of seen as on par with like a Tony D'Angelo. And that to me is like the type of player he kind of is where you're going to get points out of him, but coaches are probably going to want to just sit him down. You know, like it's, it's going to be interesting because I've watched a few games of him and every single time I've gone, Oh, like, okay. When this guy's in the offensive zone, there's a lot going on here. But I've seen this before with guys like Jake Bean and Ty Smith and Adam Bogvist and, you know, the list goes on and on and on where it's Ryan like, well, Merkley. but, but yeah, Ryan, Ryan Merkley is another one where it's like, yeah, but you've got a ways to, it's like a, how you're wired problem. It's, it's, it's like, he just naturally is so used to playing with the puck and, and being given a lot of freedom. It's like a more extreme version of like a Denton Matejchuk to me. And that's okay. I think Parekh is a first round pick, I think. But you're going to need to be patient, I think, and you're going to need to find a balance between what you're going to try to make better defensively and what you're and the cost of doing so offensively. I, I still see him as a guy where I'm going, okay, yeah, you've got a lot of production, but I don't quite understand how you see how, but it's so much like it's it's he's on pace for 100 points like that's that's. Based on how he plays, like he's not the Kale McCarr type of defenseman. He's not juking guys off of him at the blue line. He's not taking a step up along the half wall tremendously often to really push things offensively and join the offensive zone as a forward, basically. He's mostly patrolling the blue line, putting pucks on net, or or just making a move here and there to open up defenses. And that's fine. But I've been surprised at what I've seen out of him this year because, again, like, and it's not like I don't think he's good. It's going to be a matter of where is he going to be in seven years? You know, is he going to be a Tony D'Angelo where he's going to score you 60 points? He can play on the power play, but 
boy, you're going to be frustrated sometimes watching him play, or is he going to sort of rein that offense in, you know, be a little bit more of that sort of Noah Hannafin type where he's not scoring 70 points, but instead it's, you know, a solid 40 point year. He can play on the power play and you sort of rein in a little bit of that freedom and try to get him to play a little bit more defense. And again, this is something that I've definitely changed about myself over the years, but I guess the difference between a guy like Booyam and Parekh is that Booyam uses his feet to, and his stick to defend a lot more than Zane Parekh does. Parekh, I mean, he just he can often just be left behind. And to me, if you're an NHL team and you're like, I've seen Parekh ranked in like the top five, and you better be sure that in the top five, you're going to get a knockout offensive defenseman there. And I'm just not I'm just not sure that that's what he is. You see Boomer Bust with this player? Yes, big time. Yeah. I, it's again, it's how it, it's an interesting barometer question. It's like, how comfortable are you drafting a defenseman who can't defend? Because <laughs> that's, that's what you're, that's the crux of it, right? Like if you're cool with it, like if you're Carolina and you don't care by all means, like go nuts. Like you could have a lot of fun with them. You know, you pair him with the right player to mop up for whatever, wherever he's sort of jumping into that offense. Yeah. Great. Cool. But I just, it's not my jam. And there's a few other defensemen that I think are more useful in more situations personally. Wow. That's fantastic. (laughs) And yes, I think that's where that's really good caution because we've seen some horror stories of, you know, sometimes we as fantasy GMs get really enamored with just the guy. I don't care if he can play defense. I just want a guy who can score, but you're going to care if he literally doesn't play and doesn't get the opportunity. Right. Right. Light the lamp with DraftKings Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can make a $5 bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code THPN. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. So let's move on to our next guy, Charlie Ellick. He is number 34 on the EP Consolidated Rank, 22 by Daily Faceoff, 21 by Hockey News. He's a six foot three, 190 pound right handed D. Charlie Ellick plays in the WHL for the Brandon Wheat Kings, and he currently has 14 points in 31 games. Looking at his hockey prospecting, he gets sort of the token 5% star potential. And in the PNHLE, he's looking like a 33 point projection. So not super exciting, but I did see something interesting when I was looking at Instat. He has almost more hits than he does shots per game 2.2 hits per game. 2.4 shots per game and 1.48 blocks per game. I mean, the guy, he's playing 21 and a half minutes, so that's a pretty good clip for a defenseman. But he looks like he could be a peripheral monster if he is good enough to maybe get some points or at least be a really high floor guy. So what can you tell us about Charlie Ellick? Will? Yeah, I, I watched him today, did a game of his today, and I still don't really know what I think about him. I... Alec is a guy where I think in the NHL, he will play. And I think he will be a guy that you can put on your bottom pair or on your second pair, offsetting a more offensive leaning guy. He's very physical for sure. That is a big, a big part of his game. It, it's not like the, the sole part of his game, but he's another one of these guys for me that, and this is just a personal taste thing. So he does in my viewings, he shoots the puck from the blue line quite often and he does throw a lot of hits and he's the type of player that always kind of irks me a little bit when it comes to the NHL draft, where there are these CHL defensemen who can carry the puck fine. They hit hard. They're okay skaters and they'll put pucks on net. But when push comes to shove, literally, as in the hit doesn't land or you need to rely on stick checks or gap control, that's when things get a little bit hairy. You know, he's a guy where I think there's potential for him to be a sort of shutdown guy. And if you pair him with the right person, I think he'll be, you know, a useful piece. But to me, you know, it's it's kind of like that, like Luke Shen style guy where sometimes in the right situation, he'll play well enough where you go. Yeah, I could see this guy making, you know, $3 million a year or whatever. I could, I could see that down my lineup and and spending the money on a sort of solid guy on the back end. And then you kind of go, Oh, I spent $3 million on, on something that 
a lot of times kind of I want more out of him. You know, where where you watch Luke Shen and it's like he's really good at a certain group of, of a certain group of things. But the other areas, like things that are important, right? Moving pucks up the ice, you know, maybe playing with a little bit more offensive intensity and a little bit more, you know, involvement offensively. Not not too much, but like a little bit more. You know, there's a lot of off the glass and out with a guy like Ellick. There's a lot of, you know, but 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 I do think that he is a guy who early in the year I just did not really think was much. But now I kind of watched him again and and I, I you know, he's playing a ton of minutes. So he's getting lots and lots and lots of reps. And I do think that just by virtue of that and how he plays, NHL coaches are going to play him. But I think he's going to be one of these guys, unless there's a lot of improvements to not necessarily his speed, but the mobility and the footwork and the ability to play physically in multiple sort of situations to close things out, I think is going to be really, really important for him. And, you know, I don't know how much or how far I should say that the ability to read the ice really can go with a player like this and make cleaner passes and, and, you know, move the puck up the ice a little bit more efficiently. But, you know, there are things that Alec brings that I think are solid. You know, he's a solid defenseman. You know, there's, there's no real looking at him and you're like, wow, that you know, complaining that you can really do, but it's, it's more a matter of, you know, what value does that carry in the draft? If you're going to draft a, you know, the name that keeps popping into my head is Luke Shen. You know, if you're going to draft a guy like that, who, you know, was decent to start his career, but kind of everyone sort of slowly started to realize the limitations in his game. And he bounced around from team to team after a few years and he was serviceable and solid, but never that like top five guy that Toronto kind of drafted. And so, you know, is Ella going to go that high? No, I don't, I don't think so. But you know, as, as a second round guy that maybe you try to develop over a longer period of time into a, you know, number four kind of guy who can play with a more skilled sort of puck moving defenseman, then I think you've got a decent player there, but I'm very hesitant to sort of jump him all the way up into sort of first round territory where I think a few people have, have had him this year. All right. So that's some good chatter on Charlie Ellick, a player who, my file is pretty empty on, to be honest with you. So thanks for filling my <laughs> empty bucket a little bit. The next thing I want to talk about is uh, Ted Jaginla, Jerome McGinley's kid. Came out this start of the season in a, in a new scenario with a new team. Guns a blazing. 10 points in six games. Got, you know, got the draft community talking about him. I guess he's got the, the pedigree to go with it, too, with, with the name. But then he kind of went cold. Six games or so, whatever it was, and didn't have any points. He's kind of leveled off now and is, is producing not at the 10 points in six game pace, but he is producing a little bit more consistently in the last few weeks. So that's nice. So we had Joel Henderson on. He was talking about the change of scenery and, and how that's really helped him. Uh, I'd be interested to hear what, what your take on, on that is. And going from Seattle to Kamloops, I think he's in. Kelowna. Yeah. Kelowna. I knew it yeah. started with a K. It's what they, um, I confuse them all the time, too. Don't worry, so, yeah, <laughs> it happens. Yeah. Uh, so is this a player you're optimistic will hold down a first round position throughout the season? And, and what's your best case scenario fantasy upside for him? I hope he does, because I really enjoy him. Like, I, I think, you know, it, it's it's a little bit cliche or it's a little bit obvious, but you can kind of tell when you watch him, you're like, oh, his dad was Jerome Ginla. Like, definitely. Like, his dad was that type of player. Like, you see TJ Ginla never taking a shift off always trying to be involved in something, you know, throwing his weight around for checking really well, getting involved defensively. Like there's a lot of things in the games that I've seen and the data I've tracked where he's just very good, you know, and, and a lot of the times I'll say that guys that are just very good all around, I'm kind of skeptical of, but he's very good all around and also has a heck of a motor. You know, I know he's scoring a lot of goals, I don't think that's the primary part of his game. I think he also, he just has, you know, he's on the Kelowna Rockets and the games I've seen him, he is not playing with Andrew Crystal from what I remember. And that is going to make him look a little bit worse because a guy like Crystal will just be, he's been a point machine for them. And if you don't have a Ginla on your line, then that makes life a little bit more difficult for a Ginla. But you know, like he's a guy who also sort of checks a lot of boxes for me in the sense that when he's on the ice, his team is not doing very well. 
But when he has the puck and when he's doing things with the puck, his team does very well. So to me, that indicates that there might be a little bit of value that falls by the wayside that people might ignore because they go, oh, well, but when he's on the ice, he's getting scored on. And when he's on the ice, they don't really get a whole lot of shots off and blah, blah, blah. But you look at it a little deeper and you go, yeah, but he's the quarterback up the ice a lot of the time. He's working hard. He's he's hitting guys. He's causing turnovers. He, you know, he goes to the net. He He's making plays like there's a lot to like about him. I would like to see him get a little more confident, sort of powering into the middle of the ice and generating scoring chances that way, both on and off the puck. But that's a small nitpick considering everything that he does so well. And like, if we're talking fantasy hockey, like there's a lot of potential for him to be a a guy who generates a lot of hits, generates a lot of shot blocks with a better team. I feel like his point production could be quite a lot better. He also has the advantage of being a pretty late birthday for this year's draft. I think he's an August kid. And that to me factors in at least a little bit because he's almost a year younger than some of the other guys in the draft. So I think there's a lot of potential for him. I think NHL coaches are going to love him. And if he takes a shift off, his dad, who's going to drive him home, is Jerome McGinley. And if that's the case, I wouldn't want to be in that car. So I am going to be totally okay with watching TJ Ginla just run around the ice, just being a really solid all-around you know, power, power winger, I guess you could say, in the NHL one day, because... You just he's an admirable player to watch, I guess you could say, is is what I'm getting at. Over the years, I've had a lot of, of scouts and analysts tell me that um, y- you have to you can't just be good at a lot of things. You have to be yep. elite at one thing. And one of the things you said was that that Aginla is 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 good at everything. But then you quickly follow that up with what he's elite at, and that's his compete level. And yep. we've also had scouts on this podcast tell us that that's one of the characteristics that they value over Hockey sense over skating, over skill, over size is compete level and that your compete level can can overcome any of those other categories that you might be deficient at or, or overmatched in. Yeah. So that's interesting what you said about Aguila. Yeah, I, I think that that's something that to me is something that I really look for. I think there's like a you know it when you see it, right? You kind of know it when you see it with guys and with Aguila, it's definitely there. You know, in, in, in the past, there have been names like you know, Marco Rossi, Gavin Brinley, these guys who are not enormous, but punch well above their weight class with how they play the game and how intense they are and how motivated they are to just move the puck in the right direction and do things the right way. So I think, you know, it's it's a bit of a struggle with the team he's on now, but hopefully that team improves over the next couple of years. I think he could be a major focal point for them. And I, I, I'm, I'm really, really interested in him. He's definitely been a, an impressive player for me when I've seen him this year. Probably a guy that will get overdrafted just because of name recognition, but <laughs> it's possible. Yeah. Well, yeah. If he's got his hand up, we, but, but probably, but might still be worth it. So that that's fun too. Let's move on to our next guy, Tanner. Howe. he is not related to Gordy. Howe, as far as I can tell, he has a brother named Connor, but uh, Tanner, Howe, number 31 consolidated number 31 by EP. And the high is Dobber prospects actually have him at 22. He's a five foot eleven, hundred and eighty one pound forward, November twenty eighth birthday, so he's pretty old for this draft class. Thirty five points in thirty games for the Regina Pats so far this season. So far, his hockey prospecting star potential is like fourteen percent, and he has a, a bit of data in the PNHLE app, and he's looking clocking in at about a second liner at sixty point PNHLE, which isn't terribly exciting. And what can you tell us about? Tanner how will he's still what I'm figuring out. I don't think a first round pick is where I would have him second. Yeah, sure. He's a slick puck handler, really tries to make plays through traffic pretty well. He's more physical than I thought he was. He's a, he's a pretty intense guy, but you know, I I'm surprised to find out he's five eleven. I feel like he's a little smaller than that, but maybe I'm wrong. It's entirely possible. Cause he doesn't really play super big. Like he, he looks, he, he plays kind of small. He doesn't really have a tremendous amount of like separation speed that I've seen, but he's a guy who definitely is not afraid to mix things up. He's not afraid to get involved physically from what I've seen. And there, there is skill there. Like he's a pretty skilled player. 
you know, a lot of the offense that he's sort of generating consistently pretty dangerously is a lot of sort of slot passes rather than sort of getting into scoring areas and, and doing that a whole bunch. But he does do that once in a while, you know, gets into scoring, gets into sort of the mid range quite often and, and tries to score from there, which, you know, isn't as projectable, but you know, you see a guy who I think is a solid perimeter playmaker. He can get pucks off the boards pretty well. And it's just going to be a matter for him of, you know, just getting more involved in play, especially with the puck. Like he's not very involved moving pucks up and down the ice or, or back checking super, super often. But, you know, when he sees an opportunity to strike, he certainly is there to do so. So I think he's one I'm still figuring out for a while. I didn't have him ranked, but I do now. And I think, you know, I, I think somewhere in the second round for me makes sense. And you maybe get sort of a complimentary playmaker who can sort of mix it up physically down your lineup who, who, you know, can just sort of chip in and be a bit of an offensive guy here and there. He's just, I think, going to need to work on some better habits, I guess you could say, with regards to intensity level, making himself available for passes on breakouts and everything and not being, you know, right now he strikes me as a player who's a little bit focused on playing once the puck is in the offensive end, which always kind of spooks me a little, but he's pretty good at it. So I'll, I'll see, I'll probably feel very differently about him every given month when I check back in on him, but that's, you know, that's just the way of the game sometimes, but I, I like him but I don't, I don't quite have him as high as, as most other people. And he's still one I'm trying to, to piece together, I think. All right. So that is Tanner Howe. And, and I got to say, well, you didn't really kind of blow my skirt up with this guy. He's 5'11", <laughs> play small, lacks separation speed, skilled, but mostly perimeter. Yeah. Uh, it's, that? There's, no, that that's... sounds very transitional to the NHL. Yeah. And you brought up Joel Henderson, and he and I have talked about how till the cows come home because he's seen a lot of them and you know obviously when you play with Connor Bedard the points kind of make themselves this year he's on his own and he is scoring you know quite a bit relative to his team but the way I see it is you know there are just players in this draft I think who are sort of maybe late first contenders who are similarly sized but are say younger they are players who drive you know drive the bus a little bit more they're they're a higher pace level of player you know a guy like Luke Misa comes to mind a guy who has you know is kind of that archetype but I think much much more projectable to the NHL than a guy like Howe because of that separation speed he's got that work rate but it is kind of I mean I was kind of surprised like I said to see Tanner Howe be a guy who can go out there and mix it up a little bit get involved physically he's not a guy who floats around and just finishes plays off, which is something that I don't really like, but he's not, he's not too many notches above that from what I've seen on him. Well, let's, let's set our sights back up a little higher in the draft and talk a little Berkeley Catton. So he's consistently ranked in the top 10 by pretty much everybody who does rankings. Mm-hmm. He had a wicked awesome U17 tournament, 12 points in seven games for Canada. That really put him at the forefront of the pack in this draft. And he's pretty much stayed there throughout maintaining that momentum with a hundred point pace season with Spokane. If the top three forwards in this draft are, and this is debatable, but just for argument's <laughs> sake, are Celebrini, Iserman and, and Demidov is, is Katten a lock for the number yeah. four spot? I, I have him higher than those. I, I have him higher than almost everybody. I think he's yeah. two or three on my list right now. I love yeah. Katten. Really, 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 really good hockey player. Like, again, just a really good player. Like, when he goes out on the ice, you are very often going, yep, that's what I like to see. Doing the right thing. That's the right play. Find the right, Finding the right guy, making passes at the right time. He's got a delay game on the rush. Like, there's so many things that he does that is really, really high end. And I think beyond what you usually see at this level, just how he sees the ice and and how he gets himself involved and he's just so incisive and surgical and tactical the only thing i see as a real weakness in his game is that again it comes back to that not the biggest guy and not a ton of separation speed and not the skill level you kind of need to deal with nhl level pressure i don't think right now but you can work on that and if you're stupid enough to give him space on the ice, he is going to make you pay. If you give him a two-on-one or a three-on-two, he's going to know what he's doing every single time. Like, I've seen him either set up 
or very nearly set up goals. I think in every game I've I've seen, and a lot of them come on the rush, and it's just waiting out defenders, doing that sort of, you know, I, I usually say like next level thinking where it's it's not always sort of straight line. It's not always funnel pucks to the net. It's like, wait until the defenseman makes a move and then just make a move to get around him a little bit and then sort of flip the puck over him or something. It just seems very, very calculated with him constantly. And and I've been a big, big fan of Berkeley Catton since, you know, especially since the Holinka. I, I was really surprised with how much pace there was in his game. I was really surprised with how smart he was and just constantly never far away from the puck. And that fed into the end of the WHL season. He's been he's been fantastic. The last game I did of him, he was pinned at really, really high levels of, of achievement from what I gather. So I, I'm a big fan of him, and I think he's got a lot of potential for sure. And and there are some things to work on, but I'm not I'm not super concerned just because of the way sort of he's wired. And he's one of these guys that if you're if you put him on a line with anybody, he'll make them look better. Like that's where I kind of fall on him and to me, those guys are very, very valuable in the draft where it's like, it doesn't really matter who he's playing with, but he's going to find a way to get that player the puck. He's going to find a way to make that player do stuff and, and make them look a little bit better. And I think that's really, really valuable. So he's better than, than Tanner House, what you're saying. Oh yeah. I, I don't, <laughs> I don't think it's particularly, yeah, he's a heck of a hockey player for sure. Well, we didn't talk about too many top five sort of uh, or top 10 consensus picks, but Artem Lifshunov is one of the top prospects that we have to talk about. And our listeners wanted to know he's number four in the consolidated ranks. EP has him at 10. Dahmer dropped him down to 10 or sorry. EP had him at six. Dahmer had him at 10. He's also kind of old for this class, October 28th birthday, 6'2", 198 pound right-handed D. He's Belarusian. He played last season though He's been in North America for two years now, or, or since last year. He was in the USHL, Green Bay Gamblers, 42 points in 62 games. You may have heard of him this year because he's having a pretty incredible start to his NCAA season in his draft-eligible season with 18 points in 18 games for Michigan State. His equivalency at hockey prospecting looks insane. 73% <laughs> chance of being a star looks outrageous. And he also, in the PHLE model, looks like a 95 point player. So those, those all look kind of off the charts, but what can you tell us about Artem Lifshunov, Will? I am really struggling to figure out what he is. I, I don't, um, he's one of these guys where you're going to have to, he's kind of like a Zane Parek where you're going to have to have give and take with him. He kind of reminds me, I don't know how to describe him. Like he is just a, He's a physical defenseman who can move in a straight line pretty quick, pretty quickly for a big guy. Not the most skilled player, not the most mobile guy. I think faster defensemen can drop a shoulder, get around him, get through him. You know, I've seen moments where he loses track of players in front of the net and gets scored on, or he tries to fly the defensive zone as quickly as he possibly can to jump into the rush and plays just not there yet. And he gets burned doing that. Those are things that you can fix, I think, but he's a guy where, I mean, there was, there was a play I was watching the other day when I watched a game of him and, and, and I sort of went, the two guys at the blue line aren't Archam Levshinov. Like, where am I, is there something wrong with this? Like, what's going on here? And then I sort of paused and took a survey and, oh, he was below the goal line. Like he was grinding play out in the corner, in the offensive zone and stayed there. Like he didn't circle back to the blue line. Like he will, he will push he will push into the offensive zone as often as he can. So I'm not surprised he produces. I just don't like, if he's a top five pick, I think I'd be happy to let someone else give it a go and try to develop him into that sort of high end, big offensive defenseman that he could be. I'm trying to think of an example from the last few years, but you know, like he kind of is like a gigantic version of Simone Nemich almost where you just see a guy who the defending is a bit of a problem, but when he gets the puck, it can get up the ice. He's a pretty smart passer. Like when things are simple, he's effective and, you know, doesn't really miss all that often. And I think the defense for a guy that big is going to take time to come along. But I, yeah, I, I, again, similar to Tanner, Howe, he's a guy that I'm still trying to figure out because I see the production and then I watch him play and 
he's had some of the less ideal defensive moments I've seen out of some guys this year, out of most high-end guys this year, but then he sort of follows it up with some really, really impressive offensive stuff or, or he throws a big hit along the boards or, or something like that. He follows play really well. So I, I don't know. I kind of struggle to put him higher than where I have him right now, but I could see it. And I mean, to me, this draft from like five to 20 is just totally wide open. Like I, I still am not sure what to think about those 15 players that I have there because they're very different. They're good at different things, depending on what you're looking for. I have Levshinov more down towards the end of that group, just because if I were drafting him, I feel like there's a pretty long runway, but there is potential. I think he could be a good player. And I know he's got a point a game. You know, I know he's scoring a ton, but when I really sort of sit back and watch him, the last game I watched him, he was much better than the first, but those it's the same sort of problems as like a Charlie Ellick where it looks good, but then you sort of sit back and watch a little more and go, okay, but that play didn't go super well. That play didn't go super well. Well, where are you going here? Where in this moment, where are you going? I don't understand what's happening here. So it's about finding that balance. I don't know how much of that is Adam Nightingale, you know, a former NTDP coach with, with Michigan state, you know, there may be a little bit more of a, a laboratory trying to get guys thinking a little bit differently. And maybe Levchinov is part of that. And it's more of a tactical approach. But from what I remember watching last year of him, he was also kind of similar to that, where the defensive game was a bit of a problem. He really pushed things offensively. He really liked to shoot and he's a pretty decent shooter. But I just think that in terms of, you know, again, if you're drafting him in the top five, you better be really sure that you know what you're doing with a player like that and that you know what the development plan is going to be because I, I'm not sold, but I also have come a long way based on where I thought he was uh, at the end of last season, for sure. That was all really interesting, but I want to circle back to something you said about Simon Nem because it sounds to me like you might have been more of a David Yurichek fan. Are you team Yurichek or team Nemich? <laughs> I don't know. It's, 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 they're, they're, they're different players, right? Like Juracek is going to be a more physical guy. I think I had Juracek higher and I think I still stand by that. And watching Simone Nemec in the, in the NHL. Now you kind of see why he was such a high draft pick. Like it's not hard to see, but he is a guy who still has his faults and, you know, like drafting a defenseman who has trouble defending really, really high in the draft, I think is risky, but yeah, with regards to those two, he's it's weird. You you kind of touched on two guys where if you put them together in some sort of weird sci-fi machine and like spat out a hockey player, I think Levshinov would be one of them. You know, that sort of puck carrying and offensive, you know, system that that a Nemich has, but the physical play and maybe the lack of refinement defensively that a guy like Yurichek has, but still sort of a solid set of feet under him. So, it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. I feel like I'm pretty sure I'll have him lower than most people, but that doesn't mean I just don't like him as a player. I just, I, I like, I like to be a little more certain about a player really, really high on my board than, than, than what I think I see out of Levshinov, at least so far. A couple of times you said that you're still figuring some of these guys out. The good news there, Will, is there's lots of time left this season. <laughs> and yep. we got a big tournament coming up here that might move the needle on some of these guys, which is the World mm-hmm. Juniors. You got time for one more guy. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about Michael Brandsik Nygaard, and yeah. he, he's a Norwegian prospect. So for a lot of us in North America that don't have subscriptions to Instat, this will be our, our first real viewing of him, yeah. myself included. So he's a, he's a, a late born too. He's an October 5th kid. So he's already 18 and, you know, looked him up on elite prospects and his counting stats. He's playing in the Allsvenskan right now is, is very underwhelming. And he's widely considered as a first round prospect, even just outside the top 10 by most people. So that's pretty, pretty high praise for a player who's not scoring in, in one of the lower leagues in, in Europe. It's not the SHL. It's not the Liga. It's not the KHL. It, you know, it's, it's, it's a couple tiers down. What's the hype about this kid? And, and what are we going to, what are we going to see from him when we watch him at the world juniors? What's uh, his game? I would, I would be, I would expect him to be a major part of that Norwegian team. He's, he's going to need to show up. And if they're not going to get relegated and I think he'll be just fine in that tournament. I mean, when he plays junior competition in Sweden, he is physically dominant, but he's also got that sort of finesse to his game. 
I was just talking about how much I value certainty or at least more certainty. Like when you watch a player, you go, okay, this is what he does really, really well. And if I'm a coach, I can pick it and go, okay, this is your job, right? Like this is, I can depend on you to do task X and task Y. And with Michael Brancic Newgard, I see a guy who is going to be an NHL player. Like I, I cannot see a way where a guy who is that intense physically, that mo- with moments of really high skill, a really good shot, you know, he, he does have some trouble, I think, handling pucks when he's really moving up the ice. Like, his puck carrying is not ideal. But I think, you know, like it, like what we're seeing with a guy like Quinton Byfield, who had similar, I would say, similar issues in his draft year. I'm not comparing them directly, but, you know, Quinton Byfield's puck carrying was very limited. It was very sort of straight line. And his best moments weren't necessarily when he was sort of quarterbacking play, or at least most projectable moments. And now with the LA Kings, he's really found a niche where that's not really his job. It's more like an off puck four checker, creating in the offensive zone, look getting getting himself open for looks, and just being a relentless defensive presence first. And then when the puck is on your team's stick, you can be a much more effective player. You know, w- w- taking sort of a backseat to that offensive transition style or offensive transition situation. So with with Michael Brancic Newgard, I think he's a guy who, yeah, he's not scoring a ton at the hockey all Svenskin level, but not a lot of players do. And sometimes the ones that do don't work out it, but, but he's a guy. And I think a lot of that for him again, comes down to that puck handling and that, that, that open ice sort of, you know, he's not going to grab the puck at your own blue line and carry it into the offensive zone and make a play. But what he will do is chip it over everybody put it in the corner and destroy anybody in the way and try to fetch that puck and throw it back out front. So to me, like I can't see NHL teams not saying yes to this guy. I wouldn't be surprised if he went pretty high, all things considered, just because he plays such a NHL style of play already where, you know, and it's funny in Europe sometimes where, you have these men's leagues and sometimes a player just doesn't play a style that generates a lot of production, right? But you can see the ingredients of how it could work in the NHL where, you know, the physicality, the intensity, you know, the ability to grind out a game. Like the guy he kind of reminds me a little bit of is like an Alex Tuck type player where really, you know, the skill level is when he's more standing still and not in full flight you know, stick handling in a phone booth, it's there. The shot, it's there. The physicality, it's there. He'll play defense, you know, not literally defense, but he'll play defense for you really, really well. He'll he'll work. And that's, to me, to me in the NHL, that's valuable. I have him really, really high. I, full disclosure, right now, I have him higher than Cole Iserman. I just think, like, I'm not a huge Cole Iserman guy, and I think Michael Brensick Nugard has this, like, X factor for, if I'm building, like, a championship team, you know, do I want a Zach Hyman style of player? Do I want a few of them? Probably, you know, and and I hate to be that guy who's like, well, I want to draft a playoff style player, but he's a great example of something that is very useful in the regular season. He's not just big for nothing. I don't think he's a guy who's going to take a ton of penalties, but he has that motor and that physicality and that intensity that I think, I think puts him really, really high in, in this year's class. Well, I'm really looking forward to watching him at the World Juniors. So something to watch whenever Norway's on TV, anyways. Which is, <laughs> but there's not usually the case with with not that often, team, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately. Well, this has been some banger uh, material, and I, you know, really sincerely thank you for coming on the show and, and yeah. sharing your expertise with us and your insight on these players. Where can we find your work these days? Yes. So scouting.ca has been rebooted. You can check that out, the new subscription model. There's all kinds of data tools and advanced access to blog posts and everything that's going to be going up there. So you can check that out. I also started a consulting business called Fractal Hockey Consulting. So if you want the tracked data that I do put together in sort of player packages for recruitment purposes or whatever other purposes you want, you can go there and check out, check us out at fractalhockey.com and we'll, 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 we'll get some consulting for you. Or you can just watch the show. So Scouting Live happens twice a week now, Monday nights at 8 p.m. and Thursday afternoons at 2 p.m. And I'm also jo- I've am also i also joined the dark side at Puck Preps, so you can also see some NCAA 
and Canadian Hockey League draft content there. I'm helping out with the 06s, so the draft eligibles this year, but mostly focused on on college guys. So any of those places you can find me. And uh, yeah, this was a lot of fun. So thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, man. Our, our pleasure. Thank you so much for, for joining us, man. We'll, yeah, for uh, sure. we'll see you in a ring sometime, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hopefully soon. All right, man. Keep your sick on the yeah. ice, pal. <laughs> Will do. You guys too. So we got a mailbag question from our buddy Volume Shooter McGavin. You've got mail. He says, what stat do you think is more valuable in fantasy hockey? Goals or assists or why? And he says the conventional wisdom is because goals happen less frequently, they're more valuable. But doesn't that mean they're less predictable and therefore more likely to screw you with variance? So I have an answer, Pete, but what do you think? I got, I got a few thoughts on it, Victor. You're you're more in tune with, with the fancy stats than I am, but we're just talking goals and assists here, so I could probably handle this. But I'd say it depends on your league's scoring, obviously. So some leagues I've been in, goals count for multiple points and assists count for one or something to that effect. So in leagues like that, obviously, goals are more valuable. Some leagues also reward points for shots and special team goals, specifically goals. So so these formats are, it's easy to see that it's better, better value for goals and assists there. On the other hand, if goals and assists are scored evenly and there are no other stats that are counted, then I would say it's assists as it's easier to rack up assists than goals, right? Like each goal that's scored, you can only get one point for the goal, but you can have two players that get points for assists. You can have twice as many players getting points on a goal for assists than you can for goals. So there's there's that factor. And if goals are less frequent, then having a reliable goal scorer becomes very valuable, right? Uh, I'm looking at guys like Austin Matthews and until recently, Alex Ovechkin, you know, your perennial 50 goal scorer guys. That's why they get paid so much and goal scoring is at a premium. So, you know, depending on your league format and then depending on the player, I'd say the answer could vary. What's your take, Victor? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of things to this question. I, I think that the first thing I would say is that it's actually kind of both, because if you split assists into primary and secondary assists, the best thing is really primary points. The primary assists and goals. Those are primary points. Secondary assists are secondary points. And secondary assists are highly volatile. So this is why it's when you need to, when you, when you look at somebody who's assist heavy, you really have to look at, do they have a high number of A2s versus A1s? And so in general, if you're, you want to have someone who sees, who has more primary assists than secondary assists, but at the very least, you want them to be kind of even if someone has significantly more, and I would say that's 1.5 to two times as many secondary assists, that's a really high number. And that is going to experience massive volatility. And you see this with guys who don't shoot a lot, who are primarily playmakers, and their points can vary a ton. And, you know, some examples of guys like that were, you know, Matt Barzal is probably one of the, the biggest examples, guy who, you know, maybe doesn't shoot as much, but is a, is a good playmaker. His And you, and you look at his point totals for the last, five seasons and they're all over the place from point per game to like 60. And so, yeah, it's hard to know what to do with a player like that. Right. And it's true what you say about and what he said about, you know, goals maybe being a little volatile because of the, you know, less predictable, but that's not necessarily true because actually I know the guys that were left wing locked at this analysis a while. And, and one of the things you want to think about in fantasy hockey is what is valuable in terms of, you know, in terms of how your league is set up. And of course that can vary, but also you want things to be predictable. So you want things to be somewhat rare, but predictable. And goals are actually fairly predictable. Guys who score tend to score. Guys like Ovechkin, guys who have good, like you said, Austin Matthews, the guys especially who can rock a high shooting percentage for their career, they, yeah, everyone's going to have ups and downs, but in general, you're going to have, you know, if you're a 15% converter on your career, that's like what you are. You may have, peaks up to 18 and valleys to 10 or 12 or whatever, but you're roughly going to be high. And so if you're a high efficient, you know, if, if you can, you know, maintain that to some extent, then that's super valuable. What, where that does become a problem is if you're looking at small sample size and someone has, you know, five goals on 20 shots, well, you know, that's not going to happen, right? Especially if he doesn't have a track record of that happening. So I think it comes down to sample size and it, 
you know, you, you do have to kind of, like you said, think about the league setup. And in our Dauber Prospects League, we have primary points as a category, which I think is is super cool because that does reward the players who do that best, you know, who who are most involved in, in their points. And so it, that's the other cool thing about Fantrack. You can do cool categories like that. You can't do that in your ESPN and, and Yahoo League. So that's my, I don't know, maybe maybe that's too in the weeds, Pete, of an answer. Well, I think we were both a little wishy-washy on it and going both ways at different times, but I, I, I think that's the, the truth of the answer. It depends on a couple of different things. Thanks, Volume Shooter McGavern, for another question. It's great having your, your questions on the podcast. They're excellent. If you want to have a, a mailbag question on the podcast, shoot us a message on Twitter or in our Discord if you're in one of our listener leagues. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening to Dauber Prospects Report number 36. For feedback on the show, or you just want to chat with us, reach out to us. You can follow us on Twitter at DPR underscore show, at Farling, at Victor Nuno 12, at Saber 91. Don't forget to follow HockeyPodNet, all the good podcasts on there for more outstanding content. And thanks for listening to this show and whatever format you're listening to, iTunes or Spotify or whatever, go ahead and subscribe, hit the like, five-star reviews as always. We'd really appreciate it. Well, I hope you enjoyed the episode. We've got some World Junior stuff coming up on the next couple shows. So until then, keep your stick on the ice. Vindication! Let's do that hockey.